The Compliance Perspectives podcast is sponsored by Entrax, the contract lifecycle management solution that is exclusively focused on healthcare. Learn more at www.entrax.com. Welcome to the Compliance Perspectives Podcast. I'm Adam Turtletow from the Society of Corporate Compliance and Ethics and Healthcare Compliance Association. Joining us today from about 35 miles south of Nashville is Cece Bennett. Cece is a virtual CISO for CIRCOR Advisory Services. And today we're going to be talking about the concept of zero trust. Uh, first, Cece, thank you for taking time away from your morning to talk to us today. Oh, thank you, Adam. I'm happy to be here and, and welcome uh, the opportunity to talk a little bit about zero trust. Well, I, I have to say I'm intrigued by the topic. Um, can you tell us what is zero trust and what's a zero trust approach? Sure. So zero trust is a security strategy, uh, despite what you may have seen in many of the advertisements from a lot of security vendors. It's not a product uh, and it's not a service, but rather it's an approach in how you design and how you implement a, a, a set of security principles, uh, mainly around verifying explicitly who a user is, using least privilege access, and assuming breach for all users, meaning that uh, you want to uh, verify, they say, all, never trust, always verify, is the saying that's used around zero trust. And what that means is that when you have a user comes into your environment, uh, we typically always uh, assume that if the user is trusted in our environment, the user may be inside of our environment, that we give that user privileges by default. So zero trust kind of turns that approach on its ear by saying you never trust a user and you always verify. And you always verify each time a user accesses a certain uh, system, resource, service inside of your environment. So. Uh, that approach is a little different from the traditional way that we've done security for years, but because of the way that we're having to deal with a lot of these security breaches and things that are happening inside of our environments, um, internal and ex also external users, uh, a zero trust approach is really the, the best approach to be able to adapt and to uh, be flexible and allow users to, to still access resources and minimize the, uh, the opportunity for malicious user to exploit any vulnerabilities inside of your systems. So what what are some of the immediate benefits? I imagine it would cut down greatly on the number of breaches. Exactly. Yeah, it definitely will cut down on the number of breaches and it eliminates that assumption uh, you know, paradigm that, that we see in traditional models. As I mentioned, um, typically, you know, when you have a user that needs to access your environment, either internally or externally, um, externally, we typically give them a VPN session and they get access to the network. And from there, they can go anywhere inside the network. We, we, we assume that that user is a trusted user. Uh, so with zero trust, zero trust removes that assumption. There are no trusted users. Everyone is an untrusted user. And everyone is verified the same way. Um, another immediate benefit is that it increases security by looking at um, users individually and giving them access to resources when they need them as they need them. So uh, you know, you just don't have access to everything on the in the network or in the environment because you're in the environment. You 
get authenticated to each individual resource or service when you need it. So that's going to give a little bit more fine grain access control. And it's also going to allow your security teams to better manage um, access to, to sensitive resources that may be inside the environment. Uh, and then the one of the biggest benefits, immediate benefits, is that when you use something like Zero Trust, it's going to reduce the possibility of a user being able to pivot once they get into a malicious user being able to pivot once they get into your environment and pivot to another resource. And when I say pivot, for those that may not be familiar with that term, pivot means that if I'm a malicious user, I get in, say I exploit uh, a machine that is a low, low level machine that really doesn't have very much information. I may not have anything that I'm interested in. But if I get to that machine and I'm inside of your environment, then I use certain tools or access that I've gained to go to a much more sensitive system and get information. It could be credit card data. It could be healthcare data. Uh, it could be uh, any type of data that's out there that's sensitive. So zero trust reduces the possibility of that happening because it removes the, that, that uh, assumption that the user has access to other resources in the environment even if one resource is, is uh, compromised. So uh, in the security world, they call that containing the blast zone. So that's really what uh, Zero Trust is meant to do. It's meant to, if there is a possibility of a malicious user getting inside the environment and that happens, it's meant to contain that malicious user to that, that, that one machine that may be compromised and not allow them to go out and compromise other machines inside of the environment. So like keeping it so that one thread doesn't end up unraveling everything. So exactly. how, how, would this, how would this work in practice? Well, um, it, it's actually a, a pretty, pretty simple scenario once you think of it. So I'm going to describe it with two different models, right? I'm going to start with the traditional model, which we've talked about. Then I'm going to, then I'm going to describe and compare that to a zero trust model. And I think that may be the best way for our listeners to understand kind of what we're talking about when we talk about zero trust. So in a traditional model, you have the internet, uh, you have your internal network, uh, and then you may have a DMZ that sits in the middle. So the DMZ is kind of where we would put our things like our VPN servers, our web servers, things like that. Things that are exposed to the internet, but aren't, but have sort of a, a, a level of defense from the internal network. So, uh, Adam, if you're at home and you're coming into your, you want to get to your office network, you would typically come in through a VPN connection, right? You connect in through the, through the VPN. The VPN, from, in turn, will authenticate you. It usually will ask you for username and password. It may ask you for multi-factor authentication uh, in addition to, uh, to those username and password credentials. And then with that information, it will pass your connection off to your internal network. Um, you're on your internal network and then you have access to all your resources. It may be database resources, it may be SSH sessions so that you can manage other resources or it may be just web services inside of your environment. So that's, that's the typical model. And in that model, you can see that there, there could be some opportunities for compromise, right? So say for example, someone came in as you uh, once they authenticated to the VPN, then they have access to everything that's behind your firewall in your network. So now let's compare that to the zero trust model. In the zero trust model, uh, a user would, uh, same thing, we're, we have a user that's coming in through from the internet, 
we have our internal network, and then we have our DMZ. But in this case, our DMZ is going to be our zero trust environment. So when our user from the internet comes in, uh, instead of hitting your VPN, they're going to hit a proxy. We're going to call it a proxy now for simplification. That proxy is going to have the ability to uh, authenticate that user, to uh, validate that user's credentials. And instead of sending them directly to the network, it's going to send that user or tunnel that user directly to the resources that they have access to based on the proxy, based on that information that's, that's processed inside the proxy. Now, now that really creates a, a couple of different differences uh, as far as how security is being managed. Number one, the proxy is going to dictate um, whether you are who you say you are. So it's going to look at you as a user and say, you know, well, is Adam coming in at four o'clock in the morning from from uh, Pakistan? Well, if he is, it's probably not Adam. So I'm not going to allow that connection, right? Um, it's going to look at uh, your habits. It's going to look at where you're going. So they said, well, Adam is going to a system that he's never gone to before. So that looks suspicious. So we're not going to allow that connection either. But if you're coming in through, uh, through the proxy and you're hitting uh, a web server that you typically work on or you're hitting a database server that you have access to, it's going to allow that connection. But it's only going to allow that connection to that resource when you need it. So even if you were to access a system inside of your network and you were a malicious user, you can't access, you can't pivot and go to another system because you only have access to that one system. Okay. And that's that's the major benefits, and that's typically how zero trust works. And so if you take that same model that we just described, and instead of coming from the outside, you apply that to the inside. So uh, all users inside your network are treated just like users from the internet, then you can see how that proxy or that zero trust architecture is going to uh, proxy every connection to everywhere it needs to go inside of the environment, and that's going to make your environment much more secure, uh, much more reliable, because every session is going to be authenticated. Every connection is going to be authenticated. Instead of using proxies, we use what's called the policy decision point and then the policy enforcement point, and that's, that's going to replace that proxy, and that's what makes that decision as to whether you have access to that resource behind your, your corporate firewall. Well, that's interesting, and I can see two things there, honestly, the benefit of a lot more security. However, the downside I can see, and I see this as you know, a user of technology, is it could be very frustrating for employees to deal with this. I mean, you know, if you are suddenly sent to Pakistan, for example, and you suddenly can't get into something because, uh, you know, the service decides that this doesn't add up, you know, and, you know, frankly, just having to do dual factor authentication uh, on so many websites these days, I understand the point of it, but, you know, it does get annoying at times. How mm -hmm. can an organization manage all of this potential employee frustration? Yeah, one, one of the big misconceptions about Zero Trust is that it makes it more difficult for the user. Uh, but if it's done correctly, the user shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Uh, what I mean by that is that, um, you know, we mentioned that that centralized management point, um, the proxy. And if you're if that's configured correctly um, and if uh, those resources are made available uh, when they need to be made available. So it's going to require some work. Right. It's, it's not plug and play. 
But if it if it's done correctly, the user sessions should be pretty much in, invisible to the end user. So uh, typically nowadays, when we have to multi-factor authentication to multi-factor authenticate to multiple uh, resources, that's that's difficult. That's a pain. But since zero trust can use that authentication uh, and then base it also on other uh, validation points, it really can simplify the process for the user. So, so there is a learning curve. So, uh, but you know, if that learning curve uh, is um, is compared against the 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 processes required to to get it up and running, and uh, and you do your homework, then it can make the the process less frust frustrating for uh, end users as they go through the zero trust experience. Which would obviously be a very good thing. So finally, um, what teams within your organization do you involve in creating a zero trust approach? Well, uh, creating a zero trust approach is a collaborative effort, right? It's going to require input from multiple areas. Um, that's going to include like information technology, information security, uh, definitely application management teams and, uh, and server management teams, and things like that. Uh, but it's also going to include third-party vendors and suppliers because those are the folks that usually will need access from the outside into your environment. And um, probably most importantly, it's going to need um, it's going to need buy-in and uh, and enforcement from your management team. Um, once your management team gets behind something like zero trust, and it can help change the culture of the environment. And once that culture changes, then uh, if it's done correctly, then zero trust can be something that's seamlessly integrated. And hopefully seamless is what the experience will be on the front end, while at the same time, a much, much more robust defense uh, hidden behind the scenes that will hopefully protect organizations from all these breaches that we've been seeing lately. Well, thank you, CC, for sharing these insights with us. I want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen. I'm Adam Schultau from SCCE and HCCA. I hope we were able to expand your compliance perspective.